But what we want to do right now is we want to focus in on Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Oh, there's my little, my little duck up there uh, from last week. Yes, so those of you who were here last week and got your rubber ducky after the service and almost drove us all crazy as you squeaked them nonstop during the, you know, the end of the service last time, there's our devote, don't drift, rubber duck from last, last time. Our prayer for the rest of 2023 is help me to hear you, and God, help me to see how you are at work. If you need a keyword this morning that helps you stay focused, if you got the bad ADHD squirrel chasing personality, if you need a word that helps you stay focused this morning, it's the word see, S-E-E. That's our word for this morning. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's spend a moment in prayer together as we get ready to look at Scripture. God, I know in, in a lot of ways we lead chaotic, <laughs> busy lives in the middle of a world that often is chaotic and busy and difficult and filled with so much difficulty and suffering. And so God, over the next few minutes, help us to focus our hearts and minds on your word, on the scriptures. God, we need to hear from you. We need to see how you're at work in our lives. We need to see how you're at work in the world. And so God, help us over these few minutes that our hearts will be given to you in worship God, that our minds will be devoted to your word. And, and as we come to the end of the service today, God, that there would be people who would respond saying, I need to be saved. I need to see Jesus for who he is. And God, for others who are here, that you would send us out for the rest of the summer to be able to share the good news of Jesus with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question this morning that we're going to deal with is very straightforward but it's also one of the most difficult questions we deal with in life. And it's very simply the question of how could you believe in God in a world that has so much suffering and pain and brokenness and junk in it? You may have been asked that question by a family member or a neighbor. If we're probably just completely honest, we've asked that question ourselves. How could God exist? How could there be a God when we look around at the world and we see so many children who are suffering, so many good people going through situations that seem so dark and, and so difficult, so much injustice in the world. And, and you look around, you see these type of things happening, and you just say to yourself, where is God? How, how is God's work? How are we supposed to understand the existence of God in this kind of world? And my hope is that these verses this morning will help you deal with that question. Now, we, when we hear that question, and a friend or a family member ask you that question, 
one of the best responses you can give is just some humility. I mean, that's the kind of question that we have to be very careful answering with prideful, short, simple answers because it's a deep, difficult question. But the verses this morning, if you struggle with that question or know somebody who struggles with that question, I think the verses this morning could be a great gift to you. So let's study those together. Verse 5, here's what we're going to look at. Verse 5, Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. All right, what's going on in the book of Hebrews? How do we understand what's happening here? In the book of Hebrews, multiple times we see how Jesus is determined to be better than, greater than something that came before. So it's Jesus is greater than the angels. Today, we're going to see Jesus is greater than Adam. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see Jesus is greater than Moses. This idea here that's being focused on is this transition from angels to Adam. And it says it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come. So angels are not the beings that God created who are supposed to have control or care or oversight over God's world. Both this world that exists now and the heavenly world to come, the new world that God is bringing into existence, angels aren't the ones who are going to be in control or have care or oversight for that world. So then the question is, if it's not angels, who is it? Who's going to have that role? Well, verse 6, look at verse 6. It says, It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? All right, the way this verse begins, it has been testified somewhere. That phrase is such good news for those who study the Bible and memorize verses, and then somebody asks you where that verse is in the Bible, you're like, I have no idea. Like, somebody somewhere said that, but I have no idea where that verse is in, in the Bible. It's just, it came from God's Word. I know it's in there somewhere. Many of you have shared with me how you've been trying to memorize Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Bible memory is a really, really good spiritual practice. And you say, well, I can't remember where the verse came from, or I can't remember all the words. The process of Bible memory will do incredible things in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. If you're not in the habit of memorizing God's word, start with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and just work on that, and we'll provide you with some tools. And if you don't remember where it came from, just say, somebody somewhere said this. And then, what did they say? What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. I mentioned this last week. If you look in your Bible, and you notice that the font looks different, and, and I, I forget if it shows up on a phone, but you'll see it in a hard copy of the Bible. You get to these verses, and the font looks different, or it's indented a little bit. What that means in your Bible is the New Testament author is quoting from the Old Testament. And here, what he's doing, he's trying to answer this question of who's going to rule over, who's going to have care for the world to come. We know it's not angels, but then he goes to Psalm chapter 8, and he says, what is man? Look at the next verses that come after that, verses 7 and 8. What about this man? Well, God, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So trying to answer the question, who's going to have care and oversight and control of, of the world to come? Well, it's this man referenced in Psalm chapter 8. And we find out, what do we know about this man? Was made for a little while, lower than the angels, 
but is being crowned with glory and honor. Those words that speak to God's character, putting everything in subjection under his feet. You're like, that's the role of mankind. That's the role of humanity that God has given us. I can't find my car keys. I don't need to have control or care or oversight over the world. Like, that's a huge, that's a huge calling. How could God have created us for that kind of task? What, what does it mean to have that kind of calling in God's world? Well, what's it say there in verse, the, the first part of verse 8 is putting everything in subjection under his feet. When you hear that phrase, putting everything in subjection under his feet, it's tying back to Psalm 110 that was mentioned in Hebrews chapter 1. But here's another great rule, or not a rule, that's, that's too harsh. Here's another great practice when you're studying the Bible. If you're reading the New Testament portion of the Bible, and you get to verses from the Old Testament, let me kind of beg you to go back to the Old Testament and read the verses that are around those verses. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to Psalm chapter 8, because we know the author of Hebrews is pulling from Psalm 8, so we want to go back to Psalm 8 and look at those verses. If you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, I'd encourage you to find Psalm 8 in your phone. That's probably a little bit quicker, but if you are comfortable getting around in your Bible, we're going to go back to Psalm 8. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's okay. We're going to have the verses up here on the screen for you. But what we want to do in Bible study, and what we want to really encourage you at Emmaus, is when you're reading the New Testament portion of your Bible, and you see one of those Old Testament connections, go back and look at it. We want to see the big picture of, of what's happening here. We want to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together in Scripture. And so we know the author of Hebrews. He's pulling from the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 8, though he's trying to tie in 110. But we're going to look at Psalm 8. And even better is if you're the one who's supposed to be on stage talking about Psalm 8, if you have it marked. So, here we go. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So from the very beginning of the psalm, we see that it's about God's greatness. Who is ultimately in charge of all things? The Lord is. He's the one who is exalted over I. He's the one who is in control ultimately of all things. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What's happening in that verse? Verse 1 said... The Lord is exalted over all creation. Verse 2 says there's going to be a lot of people in that world who don't like having a boss and don't like having a God and don't like having someone to answer to, and they are going to be God's enemies. How is God going to meet his enemies? Not here with a powerful force. How does he meet his enemies in this verse? With the praise of babies and infants and children. What a cool picture that is. Think about Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem at the time that he's going to be crucified. He comes in and he clears out the temple and the children are singing Hosanna, glory to God. And that really makes the religious leaders mad. Like they can deal with everything else. They don't like to hear these children singing because it's God's work being displayed into the world. Just a small little aside thinking about that. Yesterday, we had a great meeting, a great interview with somebody that we're praying might come as our next preschool ministry. 
uh, director at Emmaus, and you think about the power in a church of little kids who are celebrating Jesus and singing and what that does within, within a church, pray for us as that process continues. We're continuing to make that, uh, continue to have those conversations and pray about that. All right, verse 3. So we've got these little kids who are defeating God's enemies here with their praise. Verse 3, the psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, Lord, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, we've talked about this before at Emmaus, but this is the idea that if you go outside at night on a, on a clear night and you look up at the stars, uh, I've got a new bucket list item after the last couple, of, last couple of weeks. We went on a trip out to northern New Mexico, southern Colorado, and there in southern Colorado, Colorado, that was good, Colorado, um, are the great sand dunes. There's a national park there, the great sand dunes, and you go out there, and apparently you can go out there in the middle of the night, the national park is open, and it's one of these designated dark sky areas where you can just go up and see all the stars. I, I want to go out there and do that sometime in the middle of the night. But you go out in a situation like that, even rural Cleveland County, <laughs> you go out in rural Cleveland County, and you look up at the stars, and you think to yourself, man, I am incredible. Like, I'm just a really remarkable person. I mean, I am important. If you think that to yourself, call somebody. Um, maybe consult some help. Uh, talk to somebody about that. Like, if you are looking up at the stars and the sky and the greatness of God's creation, there's a sense in which, who am I? I feel so small. I feel so insignificant at moments like this. And what Scripture is saying, being in God's creation should simultaneously create humility, deep humility within us, and at the same time, remind us that God has given us dignity. That as his people placed in this creation, the role that he's given us, humility and dignity at the same time, God, I'm small and insignificant, but you have created me in your image for your purpose. And that's what these verses are trying to create this feeling. Now look in verse 5. Here's language you're really going to recognize from the book of Hebrews. We're in Psalm chapter 8, verse 5. What about this man that God created? Well, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, so underneath the angels in, in that hierarchy, but you have also crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him in your image, God, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now that language up there, given him dominion over the works of your hands, that is Genesis chapter 1 language. This is the creation where God has created mankind in his image for what purpose? To rule the world, to subdue it, to care for it, to have oversight for it, to have dominion this language uses. So what's happening here, the book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 8 is tying back to Genesis chapter 1. Saying, this is God's purpose in creation. Here in the book of Psalms, that purpose creation, the creation of humanity, the creation of mankind is being celebrated for its purpose. Verse 7, who do you have dominion over? Who is under your feet? Well, all the sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, even those orcas that are playing tag with the boats off the coast of Portugal, even those orcas, like those two are under your care and oversight. This is the role you've been given. Verse 9, 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what do you have in Psalm 8? What do you have in Psalm 8? You have a psalm that begins and ends with God is ultimately Lord over all. However, he has created humanity to display his glory and love into the world and to provide care and oversight for this world, to to rule over it so that this world is able to be what God created it to be. Okay? That's the background. And we see those verses we saw in the book of Hebrews. Now, go back to the book of Hebrews. Okay? So that's Psalm 8, which also took us to Genesis 1. Now we want to go back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. If you save your place, you'll get back there faster. If not, don't worry. We've got the verses up here. So let's remind us, remind ourselves what we're doing here. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 into 8. What did the author of Hebrews said? He said, you made him. That mankind, man and woman that you created in Genesis 1, that was celebrated in Psalm 8, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now look at the middle of verse 8. This is fascinating. This is where it all turns on, okay? The middle of verse 8. The author of Hebrews kind of explains this, gives some commentary. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, God left nothing outside his control. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. This is fascinating. So the author looks around at the world, and he says this world is supposed to be under the care and the oversight of those who God has placed in here as his image. Have you looked at the world lately? Does control and care and oversight, does that explain anything that you look at? And the author looked around and says, no. I see chaos. I see pain. I see anxiety. I see suffering. I see death. God promised us that in this world, his glory and his love would be shown to the world and his humanity that he created in his image, they would be used by him to display this to the world. And friends, that plan does not seem to be going well. Like that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. I'm looking around and I don't see that. Your friend, your neighbor, your coworker who doesn't believe in God is asking you, how could there be a God when this world is so messed up and broken and there's so much sin and suffering and the author of Hebrews agrees he looks around and says it doesn't look like that right now but verse 9 but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus okay Now we're doing Bible study, all right? What's happening here? Genesis chapter 1, God's plan for creation, God's plan for humanity. Psalm chapter 8 celebrates this man who was made for a little while lower than the angels, but is going to have glory and honor, is going to put all things under his feet. Up to this point, we've been thinking that that man from Psalm chapter 8 was me and Bob and Larry and Jew and Joe and Susie and whoever else. Like, it was humanity. Who is that man from Psalm chapter 8, actually? 
Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus. Genesis chapter 1, Psalm chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 2 says the one that we were really looking for is Jesus. What did Jesus do? Second half of verse 9. He was for a little while made lower than the angels, but he has been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Next week we'll get into what that phrasing means or what it means. But here, I want you to see that the purpose for which humanity was created and failed to live out, Jesus came as the new and perfect and better Adam. He came as the one who was able to fulfill God's purposes for the world. He came as the one who truly will put all enemies underneath his feet, who will rule over all things. And because of him, we are able to be saved and restored for the purpose that we were created for. And you're like, well, how does that help me make sense of suffering in the world? I'm glad you asked. Here's the way it does. How do we make sense of suffering in the world? It's the phrasing that we've talked about before. Already, not yet. Already, not yet. At present, the author of Hebrews says, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. You look around at the world, and it does not look like the world is controlled by an all-powerful, all-loving, all-good God. Let's just be honest. The suffering you see, the difficulty you see, you don't even have to look anywhere else. Just look at your own family. Look at your own life and the difficulty you experience. When I look with my human eyes, when I look with my human eyes, the world does not look under control. But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. The one who has already defeated sin and death through his life, death, and resurrection. To be a follower of Jesus in this world says what I'm looking at with my human eyes does not determine what is absolutely true because church, we see Jesus. We see the one who is victorious over sin and death. We see the one who is victorious over the pain and suffering and brokenness in this world. So what is our task as followers of Jesus? What have we been called to do? Your job and my job and our job is learning to see Jesus. That's what we've been called to do. We have been called to learn what it looks like to see Jesus. What do we see with Jesus? We see one who is with us in our brokenness and our pain, who doesn't stay far away from a world full with all this suffering and death and difficulty, but who came right into the middle of it. We see one who treats people who are suffering with dignity, who comes to them in their time of need and, and cares for them in the middle of that pain that they're facing, but who is also victorious over sin and death. We see Jesus, church, the new and better and perfect Adam who came into our world and overcame sin and death and who rules now forever over this world, all of his enemies put underneath his feet. And one day, we will see that come to perfect completion. How do you see that? How do you see that in a world with so much suffering? Well, God's word helps us see what's true. God gives us the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in the New Testament 
somebody somewhere said in the New Testament. I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, somebody somewhere in the New Testament said that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded our eyes. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we are able to have our spiritual eyes open and to see what is true. That through God's Spirit we can see what is ultimately true. That when we look to Jesus, we realize that what we see now is not the end of the story. Looking to Jesus helps you get above and beyond all the junk in your life, all the brokenness in in your life. And here's the reality. We need other people to help us see Jesus. Because when you feel overwhelmed by life, when you're surrounded by suffering, when you're just inundated with all this junk in your life, the gift of the church is you have people around you who say, hey, let me help you see that situation in a different light. Or somebody who walks up to you at just the right time and says, let me tell you what I see God doing in your life. I can see for you what you can't see for yourself because you're so overwhelmed by pain and suffering and difficulty right now. And the gift that the church becomes in a time like that. In the Old Testament, there's a really great story in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're not going to turn there right now, but make a note. Go back and read this story if you're, if you're not familiar with it. But Elisha is the prophet for Israel at the time. And the king of Syria keeps trying to attack Israel, God's people. The king of Syria in 2 Kings chapter 6 is trying to attack the people. And he can't ever be successful because it's like the people of Israel know beforehand what he's going to do. And so the king of Syria asks his servants, it's like Elisha's in the room where it happened. Like, how, how is he able to know what's going on here? And the king of Syria, his servant says, well, he's a prophet. He, he knows what's happening. And the king of Syria says, I'm tired of this. And so he goes to Elisha, who's staying at Dothan, not Dothan, Alabama, Dothan in Israel. He goes to Elisha, who's staying at Dothan, and Elisha and his servant are in this little place, and they wake up, and they are surrounded by the army from the king of Syria. So they wake up, there's just the two of them, and Elisha, his servant, panics at this point, because it's two of them, and they are surrounded by this enemy army. If you know the story, Elisha looks at his servant and says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more and greater than those who are around you. And then he says, Lord, open up my servant's eyes so he can see. If you know the story, what happens? The servant looks up again, and what does he see this time? Behind the, the Syrian army, he sees this burning army, this glory of God army that is surrounding them. And he realizes with his physical eyes, all he saw was an army about to attack them. But with his spiritual eyes, he sees that God has this situation completely under control. And you think about how many people in our world, in our lives, my own life, when we look at only what we can see with our physical eyes, we feel overwhelmed. Like, there's no way I'm getting out of this situation. There's no way this situation is going to get any better. I can't imagine anything beyond this. And God says, look again. We see Jesus. We see one who, even though we're trying to fight the battle, he's already won the battle. Open up your eyes and see this. Matthew chapter 14, what's happening there? The disciples are in the boat out on the lake, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks to Jesus, 
And when does he begin to sink as he's walking toward Jesus? When he looks at the storm. When he sees what's happening around him, he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down, pulls him out, saves him. And when they get in the boat, they see Jesus in a completely different way. My prayer for you, today, this summer, the rest of 2023, my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus in a way that you maybe never seen him before. That you would see that Jesus is the one who has overcome sin and death, that he rescues you, that he saves you, that when you feel overwhelmed by this world, when you think, how could God exist in a world with this much suffering, you would look and say, but we see Jesus. We see one who has overcome all the things in this world and that you would trust him. As we wrap up today, there's two options for you. You can either get saved or be sent, okay? Those are kind of your two options today. Get saved or, or be sent. If you're here and you feel overwhelmed by life, you've never experienced God's salvation, you've never experienced his peace and forgiveness, that you would know that God sees you. He sees what you're in the middle of. He's near to the brokenhearted, and he has overcome those things, that you are called to trust him. And today, after we dismiss people, I'm going to be right here at the front. Please don't leave this room without knowing whether or not you will be with the Lord for eternity. Don't leave this room without knowing whether or not you've ever been saved, that we will be up here, we will pray with you, we'll talk with you through that. And if you're here this morning and you have seen Jesus, what have you been called to? We have been sent out to share that good news, to help other people see who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their lives.